87 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 13th of April 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Fainim. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So here we are. The world has got even worse. Graham, you are not feeling very well, so thank you for coming anyway. It's just a scratch, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, there's definitely nothing else to talk about, so shall we uh, get on with the Linux news? Uh, Oh no, maybe I should address the elephant in the room. Hello to any new listeners who may have uh, come from other places, social media and things. I have some personal news that I need to address up the top here. The short version is that I acted unprofessionally, disrespected my colleagues, that was against company policy, and my contract was terminated for gross misconduct. So I'm no longer working for Jupiter Broadcasting, Linux Academy, a cloud guru, doing the various shows that I was over there. That's all over now. This is the only show that I'm doing for now, working on some other ones, but uh, we'll see. The slightly longer version of this is that I said the C word in front of my colleagues, uh, and that's how I disrespected them and acted unprofessionally. I am working class. I try and hide it a little bit by knowing about number and amount and whatnot, but that is my heritage. And um, I say the C word quite a lot in my normal life. I'm not going to say it on here, but I think we all know what I'm talking about. See you next Tuesday, that sort of thing. Um, I try my best not to say that on air, but I do say it, um, as you lot can attest, in normal life, I quite liberally use it, quite casually use it. I became overly familiar with my colleagues is the bottom line. And um, we were kind of like a group of friends and I forgot that we were colleagues, I suppose, and said the word around them more than once. um, And at least one of them complained about it. I never directed the word to a person as in you C word or F off you C word or something like that. I never did that. It was just casual use of the word in conversation. Um, The history of this is in early March, so just over a month ago, about five weeks ago, uh, I had a meeting with HR, which is actually called ES, Employee Success at uh, ACG. I was asked a number of questions, um, including whether I'd ever said the word, and I told the truth that, yes, I had said that word in front of my colleagues, but I did explain that I'd never directed the word towards someone. I was told that I probably wouldn't be fired and that I would probably be required to undergo some sort of sensitivity training. And I said, yeah, no problem, I will do that. And I explained that I've stopped saying that word. I do not say that in front of my colleagues. You know, now you've brought this to my attention. It's not happening again. I was told that the investigation would be concluded within a few days. And then over the next month, I repeatedly asked them what's going on with this. I wanted updates. And I was told that the investigation was ongoing. And then last week, I received an invitation from a senior manager. And in that meeting, I was told that my contract had been terminated. Chris, who was my manager, was not told about my contract being terminated until after my meeting with that senior manager. It's my understanding from public information that the shows that I was running over there have ceased production, at least for the time being. They are Linux Action News, Choose Linux, and User Error. So they are no more. Choose Linux, they said, was on hiatus, so I don't know whether it'll come back, but it won't be coming back with me. I've been speaking to Dan and Popey, and I'm hoping to be working with them on a brand new show soon. Late Night Linux Extra is going to be rebooted. Um, I can't guarantee how often there'll be episodes of it, but expect random content. There's one interview that I've got lined up, hopefully, 
for at some point soon, but we'll have to see how that works out. But there'll, there'll hopefully be some content in there. So subscribe to the all episodes feed. That's probably your best bet. And I do have some new show ideas that are in the works, but um, no guarantees yet. If you want to find out about them, stay tuned to this show or my Twitter, which is at Joe Ressington. So I announced this on Twitter and I got so much love and support from everyone. So I really have to say thank you to all the new listeners, the financial supporters and the people who sent kind messages. It really warmed my heart. I basically was just glued to my phone and computer for nearly 24 hours, just reading all of this influx on Reddit and um, on Telegram and everywhere. It was just mad. So thank you, everyone, for that. And obviously, thank you to everyone who was supporting us before all of this on PayPal and Patreon. That is very much appreciated, as it is for everyone. Um, if you want to find out more about that, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support and there's various ways there. And if you support us for $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. You see how I snuck the admin section in there. Right. So we don't use the C word that often in Ireland. It's still not a big deal. And I lived in Glasgow for a good bit where it's used all the time. <laughs> Shocker. Um, and I have been to London where it's used quite often. And it isn't uh it doesn't mean i think what the americans would think it would mean either that's that's the thing to point out um yeah it's definitely a geographic issue yeah but it was against their company policy is what i was told and so that's why my contract was terminated fair enough but yeah i use the word a lot i use it in front of my family um they use it in front of me I, I, it's a cultural difference i suppose that i didn't properly take account of and um that's why it happened well that's fair enough that you take it so well <laughs> i wouldn't <laughs> but thankfully this show continues and uh, like i said late night linux extra will have some content i don't know if it's going to be every other week or I, I i don't know at this stage but there will be some things going in there hopefully so let's talk about some news then shall we and the first one is that the PinePhone UbiPorts Community Edition is available for pre-order now. And what this is, is essentially the normal PinePhone, but with some UbiPorts branding on it. And it comes pre-installed with Ubuntu Touch. And some of the money, I think it's $10 of the money that you spend on it, goes to the UbiPorts Foundation to help development of Ubuntu Touch. So this is effectively... Uh, UbiPorts' first OEM deal, which is pretty cool. It's really nice. I know we've brought it up a few times as well, but the Pine phone's great, but it's really nice to see UbiPorts on a phone and um, Ubuntu Touch actually still living um, all these years after it was started. It's lovely just to see the screenshots and see, see it on there. I think this is a really nice joint venture, or however you want to describe it, between Pine phone and UbiPorts. Like these are two distinct projects that we've been following for a while here and uh, it's really great to see them join up and put this device out there um i i'm not really that excited about phones but this one i am quite interested in and will probably get one because i think this is like graham says really nice to see this um the ubuntu touch still out there people still using it it having moved on so much and, and um, matured so much over the last years uh, i'm very very excited about it and $150, which is really cool. 
Yeah, plus shipping, plus no. taxes and stuff. So I, I accept they don't get any of that. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it is a low-end phone that we have to keep in mind here. This is not going to replace an iPhone or an Android device. This is for people who want to try out. <laughs> it's a low-end phone that isn't running Java, though. So, you know, yeah. you have potentially got the advantage that you're closer to the metal as such. And, uh, you know, you're going to get a better performance out of that in the long run anyway. So, I mean... I don't know. I think the jury would still be out. I, I mean, you can't judge it right now because they're obviously still very much early days. But like, I was looking at the um, Q&A from the UbiPorts guys and they were talking about the fact they've got voice work and SMS, GPS and the accelerometers. Battery performance isn't stunning yet and the camera's not working. I mean, they're quite a ways along. I mean, they say it's obviously not perfect yet and it, it's kind of be for developers to get their hands on this. I mean, it even puts in... Um, the caveat that like, if you expect one to three dead pixels to be a deal breaker, don't get this because <laughs> you know that might happen. It's it's early manufacturing runs and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think as long as you go along with that, that's fair enough. And I think this could be very good in the future. The camera is a bit of a uh, I don't know. Disappointment is not the right word. It, the camera is a bit of a weak point. Let's say five megapixels. Um, it's probably fine for a lot of people but you know the the bar is quite a lot higher than that these days i would say and it's only 2.4 gigahertz for wi-fi but it has got a, an lte radio in it which i think is pretty impressive um and it's nice to see a headphone socket a proper headphone socket yeah well i've got one of the original braveheart editions and i've talked about it on the show it does feel like a proper phone it doesn't feel like a high-end phone necessarily, but it does feel like a decent phone. And for that price, you can't really go wrong with it. And this comes pre-installed with Ubuntu Touch, but there's nothing stopping you sticking an SD card in and booting one of the other community ROMs that are available for it. Like there's a Debian with Fosh, which is the uh, the shell that Purism made for the um, Librem 5. Um, and Fosh is actually really good. I like it. There's uh, You can get a uh, post-market OS with... Fosh or KDE, uh, what is it, Plasma Mobile, they call it. So there's a lot of different operating systems you can run on it, and Ubuntu Touch is one of the more mature ones. But, you know, there's always that caveat that this is for people who like to mess with computers, as Leo would say. It's for people who want to test and report bugs and follow development. And Maybe you could use it as a daily driver. I don't know. It depends on your needs. I don't think I could. Well, I couldn't is the bottom line. Although I don't have to use Slack and Zoom anymore, so that helps. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky, lucky bastard. That was quite nice to uh, suit up, get purged those two a couple of days ago. <laughs> I'll probably have to reinstall Zoom soon enough, but uh, yeah, stick to Mumble for now. And a good couple of weeks ago now, UbiPorts announced that they are partnering with Vola, which is a, a German company, I think, making a phone that's going to have Android on it, but it looks like there'll also be an option for it to come with Ubuntu Touch as well. So that could potentially be their second OEM deal in short order. So things are looking up for them, I think. So I'm sitting here looking at Firefox 75, and there's been a couple of changes. The main one is the search bar, and... Um, Hands up who thinks I like this change. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, what I'm gathering about this is that you noticed. I didn't notice this uh, until it was pointed out to me by Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. Okay. Go on then. <laughs> I noticed it before I even read about it because I was slightly distracted. 
over the last week or so, as you might imagine. And um, suddenly, whenever I clicked on the URL bar, it just got massive. Mm. And like, I was like, oh, what's going on? I don't like this. And the, the default click behavior changed as well. If you do a single click now, it selects the whole URL. But I was used to doing like a double click. or I don't know, it was muscle memory, and that's all changed. And I copy a lot of URLs for mm. my shows that I do. And it's, so it's, now I'm having to relearn that muscle memory, so I'm very annoyed. There's probably a, a plugin or extension or whatever that will put it back to normal, but that'll eventually break, so I may as well just learn the, mm. uh, the new way. I think it's just a setting. Yeah, but I've been burnt by that before changing settings and then they just remove that feature like it used to be you could do um type in the url bar like google and then control enter and it would do the https www dot and the dot com um but and you could do control shift enter and that would give you dot org but that dot org just stopped working i think control enter still works so there's little features like that that once they go i just think no i'm not going to bother trying to re-enable them because they'll just eventually just not work at all anymore yeah well see i thought that and then i found a plugin that manages tabs and groups so i can do different tabs for different stuff and i finally after whenever they killed the tab groups off it was like years ago and i finally got a plugin to do it and thank fuck i did because i've stopped going spare now in between time and i use um the vimium uh plugin for firefox so that the the vim key bindings of the whole thing and pressing yy will uh copy the url to the clipboard (laughs) it's true this is what a fevered mind does to you (laughs) yep (laughs) oh did did that sound strange (laughs) i only use the emacs shortcuts no i I seriously do i actually my daily driver is a browser called cute browser which is purely driven by vim key bindings it's when i have to use firefox i need to use this did the nurses take your clothes (laughs) But the biggest story around Firefox 75 seems to be this telemetry on Windows. It doesn't really affect us, but it does affect Windows users. Mozilla wants to know what your default browser is because Edge has a habit of making itself your default browser. And Mozilla want to know about it, which I suppose is fair enough, but it is on by default. And it feels a little bit like not the kind of thing that Mozilla should be doing, really. I don't know. If you're using Windows 10, you brought this on yourself. And if you're using fucking Edge, Edge has got, what, the worst record for telemetry? Uh, So, I mean, no, I I don't really care. I was going to say maybe Windows users are suspicious of Firefox unless it actually does enable telemetry. (laughs) (laughs) It's not mining my data. What's wrong with this thing? It is a bit curious, though. If you go to the the Firefox webpage, they do make a big thing about them being the browser of privacy. Um, And then they go and stick a cron job or whatever they call it, which is, uh, you know, checking your default browser every hour or or, or however often it does. It's not surprising. It is disappointing. Well, what's also disappointing is that Firefox is now the third most popular browser behind Chrome and Edge. Is them installing this agent to check default browser a direct result of, uh, of this news, I wonder? Possibly. I mean, this is according to net market share, so we don't know. It's always very, very difficult to work out the the browser market share. If only it could be as accurate as DistroWatch. (laughs) (laughs) DistroWatch is very accurate at telling you which distros have terrible SEO, (laughs) according to Pipe at least, and I believe him. But according to this Register article 
um, they say that by March, Firefox share had dropped from 8.2% in December to 7.19%, and Edge is 759 So it's pretty close still. But, I mean, compared to Chrome, which is like 68%, it's... Mm. It really is just a minority browser now, Firefox, isn't it? Hands up, admit, who here uses Chrome as their main browser? I do, yeah. I do for work stuff because I feel like it's not my personal choice and it works better with Meet. Yeah, that's it. The the corporate tools are Google Docs-based. And Mm. so, you know, do yourself a favor and use the browser where everything is supposed to work, which is a shame. Well, I find that uh, Docs works and Drive works in Firefox. I don't know about many of the others. I mean, the um, the Spreadsheets one works as well to a pretty good extent. So you can use Firefox, and I do. I usually have Chrome installed, but Firefox is my main browser still. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash lnl, and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs, or droplets as they call them, with full root access in data centers all over the world with really fast networking and super fast SSDs. And they offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and FreeBSD, and some container distros. But if you don't want to use one of those, you can upload your own custom image. They have loads of one-click apps like LAMP and LEMP stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and it's really easy to set up. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, And they scale all the way up to multiple cores and huge amounts of RAM and disk space. And they also have CPU-optimized droplets if you want just raw power and memory-optimized droplets if you need more of that. They have really simple backups that have saved my bacon once or twice and cloud firewalls that can stop network traffic before it even gets to your VM. It's really simple to add extra storage to your droplet, whether that is block storage or object storage, depending on your needs. So go to do.co slash lnl and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash lnl. Back in January, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but IBM announced that Jenny Rometty was stepping down as the CEO and Arvind Krishna would be taking over. But what was particularly interesting about it was that Jim Whitehurst, who was the CEO of Red Hat, was effectively being promoted, I suppose you would say, to president of IBM, which I think is like the one down from the CEO. And Paul Cormier has taken over as the CEO of Red Hat. So it really reinforces the fact that IBM are betting the farm on Red Hat, essentially. I think they've got to. I think IBM revenues are down. Um, The business is, I don't know if it's struggling necessarily, but it's certainly going through a a rough patch. Red Hat seems to be their lifeboat for the the whole of IBM, which is quite an extraordinary thing to consider. And and probably I am very wrong on this, but as far as I can tell, that seems to be what's happening here. Cormier was the guy who brought in essentially Rel back in the day in Red Hat. He was the one who suggested that they should do it. And apparently there's a thing where he said if by the end of two months they didn't get 8,000 uh, 8, subscriptions, he'd resign and uh, end up getting 32,000 or something mm. like that. And- yeah, and so IBM are going to continue to run Red Hat as like an independent entity almost, like with its own corporate structure, obviously owned by IBM and everything. Because Red Hat is a very successful company. That's why IBM bought them. They are the most successful 
open source company. But it is very interesting that Jim Whitehurst has been given such a senior position at IBM. I know a lot of people speculated that perhaps he might get the top job. It seems like that might happen one day, but not for now. And the thing is that Red Hat is only a tiny part of the overall revenue of IBM. But clearly, IBM see that as the future with the hybrid cloud stuff that they talked about when they bought Red Hat, which I know, failing you hate the cloud, but you, you have to accept that if you're going to use the cloud, then a hybrid cloud approach is the best, spreading it among different public cloud providers as well as having some on-prem. It's like asking me if I was going to set myself on fire, which fuel do I think is better? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like the browser thing. You know, you don't just use Chrome. You use Chrome as well as Firefox. No, you use Firefox <laughs> and damn those sites that don't work for you. <laughs> yeah, just cut off your nose to spite your face, eh? Do fucking right. So something quite serious, that is Google and Apple are teaming up to launch a contact tracing system for iOS and Android, initially as uh, a kind of an app-based thing, but ultimately baked into the operating systems that is going to use uh, Bluetooth low energy, I think, to communicate with other phones around you and inform me if you've come into contact with someone who has got the dreaded virus. Graham. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just a cold. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong with this idea, I wonder? <laughs> Nothing. It's great. Yeah, well, it'll all be open source and you'll be installing it from F-Droid, no doubt. Failing. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, they say, yeah, it doesn't use GPS, but I mean, they already know where you are, roughly. And if they know you're roughly near, that's multiple points of where they know where you're near. I don't know. If it was fully open, if it was actually genuinely fully open, I can see that this is a smart thing. I mean, the Irish government over here is doing a similar type of thing, and they've got some developer to write it, and nothing against that developer. But the problem is, if a thing is not open, you can't trust it. It's no it's no use. It's, it's why I don't use Signal, because I can't get an open Signal app from my phone. Therefore, I don't know what it's doing. I don't know who's compiled it and what way they've done it. So... You know, at this point, you're, you're giving an awful lot of information away there. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I was turned Bluetooth off anyway. So I, d- I do agree with you. And it's it's difficult that the, like, I don't know, the far right kind of own the knee jerk tinfoil hat response because what the, the, the reasoning behind this and the reasoning behind the, the UK doing the same similar kind of thing is it's the right thing. It's a technological solution to a real problem we're going to have. But you can't help but see this as just a chance, a power grab for data. You know, when when our, all our guard is down, and I don't want to be the one to say, I don't want to be the tinfoil hat um, extremist, but we still have to be very careful because, you know, there's no going back from these kind of decisions. It can even be accidental, though. It's where they've used a third-party library that they didn't realise did this, that, and the other, and, oh, yeah, well, here, look, we've we've got all this extra data. Sure, it'd be wrong to delete it now at this point, wouldn't it? Mm. Oh, yeah, I don't think for one second that they're going into this with nefarious motivations or anything, but it's just a case of once you open up the floodgates to collect all this data, if it's mm. not done properly, which yeah. it almost certainly won't be, mm. then I agree with you, Graham. I don't think it's tinfoil hat to say that. I think it's just sensible. No, but it also it normalizes it normalizes this level of, of tracing that some people will just never, I don't, I don't think we'll ever come out of. Yeah, just when we should be thinking about the privacy stuff, we're now getting this. And it's, as you say, normalizing 
the idea that we're going to be tracked everywhere we go. I mean, we kind of already are with our phones, but this is just being really overt about it. And if kids will install this, you know, it's probably going to be a case, let's face it, that if you don't install the app, you're not going to be allowed in certain businesses. You're probably not going to be allowed to go to school or whatever. Um, and it's it's like the film Contagion, which I highly recommend everyone watches. It's like um, if you're scared of spiders, get a lot of spiders on you, it'll cure you. And yeah, watch the film Contagion from about 10 years ago. That'll definitely cure any fears. But in that, they have these um, like armband things, uh, like wristband with a barcode on it that gets scanned to say that you've had the vaccine or whatever. Um, and I, I could seriously foresee it mm. being that yeah. if you don't have this app installed, you're not allowed in cafes and restaurants and whatever. And Phelim's so absolutely right. You know, with a little bit of extra effort, this can all be done completely open um, in a way that we can all trust and that has equal scrutiny across all the countries that everywhere the heart the earth. Mm. I don't see how they can do it not open source, well, how they can justify not doing it in an open source way. Because it's public money that's paying for it. There's no, absolutely no reason to be uh, secretive about how it works. But, of course, that won't happen. <laughs> well, we had a couple of Microsoft stories. And so <laughs> I think two of you somehow came up with Microsoft Mantelpiece. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's go with that. The first <laughs> one is that Windows 10 is getting Linux files integration in the uh, File Explorer. So... If you're using Windows Subsystem for Linux, you'll be able to interact with your files in a very simple way from the Windows GUI, which is just yet more reason for people not to bother installing Linux, I think. so. Hmm. This crosses an interesting boundary, in my opinion, because you've got people who have installed WSL and want to use Linux on the command line, and they also want to use the File Explorer, File Manager thing to copy the files off of there. And, you know, on the face of it, I wouldn't imagine that those two um, demographics had much crossover. Uh, so is this the the democratization of Linux in action? Maybe. I saw it more as a way to get stuff in rather than out. But either way, I can see the point you're making. Um, it just feels like, as I said, more reasons to not use proper Linux and just to use... Windows, just stay on Windows 10 and you've got all the benefits of the Linux command line. And then at the end of the day, you can play Steam games. But more people learning Linux skills is definitely a good thing, being exposed to Linux. Um, so yeah, let's say we lost the desktop war, so they carry on using Windows 10. But when they reach out to make their own IoT devices or buy a Raspberry Pi or something, or teach kids Python programming on something, you know, they'll reach out for some small bit of hardware and won't be so afraid of using Linux on it. And there's the whole cloud story as well, much mm. to Phelim's delight, I'm sure. But this is the real, <laughs> the real opportunity. It, and I think you're right, Graham. The, the the desktop war. Well, it never really was a war, was it? Um, but that's fine. People are allowed to use Windows, but now they're going to be deploying to Linux in the cloud, and that is something to celebrate. All right. Well, the other bit of news is that Microsoft has announced a new security model called IPE. So this is an alternative to SE Linux? I don't think it's an alternative. I think it's another um, another alternative in the LSM collection. So you've got things like SE Linux and AppArmor, um, and IPE is another entry in that uh, collection. Specifically, I think they've designed it for people 
using Linux in Azure um, so that they can control which binaries are allowed to be executed by users. Um, and it, it has the standard LSM style that you can put it in enforcement mode or reporting mode. So you can develop your rules and see the results of those rules in the logs before you switch it on for everybody. But I think it's um, really, yeah, it is it is targeted at Azure users. I don't know that it will ever become a mainstream thing, but we'll see. Right, KDE Corner then. Before we get to the cute stuff, let's uh, deal with the happier news. Uh, just a quick one that I put in, actually. KDE is now on Instagram. So there's <laughs> event photos and uh, screenshots and stuff. It's I can see why you're laughing, but, you know, get out there where the people are and all that yeah. and show them how cool KDE is. It so. should be on TikTok. Yeah, probably, yeah. It's got K's on it. Kit Cot. Kit Cot. That's gone badly wrong fast. <laughs> All right. Well, you obviously had to put in something about uh, itinerary as well, then. Oh, well, I'm desperately worried. Now all these developers are not traveling to locations. Who, how the hell is the work going to get carried out on KDE itinerary? Um, and ironically, they said that very thing, um, but they are working on it and um, they're actually investigating an alert system, which I thought was actually quite smart because let's face it, I think travel in the future is going to be one right bee's nest and, uh, you know, traveling to locations, knowing that you're not allowed to travel, certain restrictions on travel, things like that. So they're trying to, they're investigating that to try and work on uh, a system for that. Um, and they've also been doing a bit of work on hotel and uh, restaurant re- uh, reservations as well. Um, so expanding what they've got right now. And there is a massive load of work on the Thunderbird integration, which is coming pretty soon. Uh, I'm hoping that it'll come out next month or so. Um, and that also brings in some transfer features too, where uh, if you are traveling to a location and you have multiple trains, cars, taxis, whatever, um, you'd be able to set things like custom home destinations or office, remote offices and things like that. And then it'll uh, actually be able to work out automatic transfers for you as well. So lots of work going on there, which is quite cool. Right. What's this Maui project that someone's put in? Right, so Maui is a way to build applications in a kind of simple uh, toolkit, and that using uh, Kirigami and the KDE utilities is uh, got a nice status report on it, and I think people should check it out because some of the applications there are really nice, and um, they've got a kind of consistent look and feel, and uh, are very easy to develop. So, if people want to get involved, it might be a bit of fun. All right, well, I mentioned Cute. So back in January on the Cute blog, they said that there were going to be some changes and that the LTS versions would be available to commercial licensees only and it was going to potentially cause a problem. Well, that has resurfaced over the last week or so with a KDE developer called Olaf Schmidt Weisschurfer saying that having had some conversations with cute it's not looking good basically it's looking like they are going to start charging for all versions of cute so you're going to have to have a license but then curiously cute put up on their blog a very short statement i can read the entire thing there have been discussions on various internet forums about the future of cute open source in the last two days the contents do not reflect the views or plans of the cute company the cute company is proud 
to be committed to its customers, open source, and the cute governance model. So that's quite confusing, isn't it? How come one of the KDE developers is saying that there's going to be a problem here and Qt are saying that, no, it's all hunky-dory? Well, I'm I'm purely guessing, right? I don't have any inside information. But the Qt project is always seemingly struggling for revenue, to generate revenue. Um, and the, the, the coronavirus is mentioned by Olaf in his post um, about the QT, the Qt project perhaps temporarily suspending this release of the open source versions to try and generate more income. So on the one side, they've got this pressure of keeping their developers employed and keeping the momentum going up, keeping the releases coming, which I'm totally sympathetic with, of course. But on the other hand, the action that the Qt project always seems to take is to, to punish basically the open source licensees. Um, they never seem to be able to get the two to which they should work in in sympathy with one another because it's 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 objectively true i think that the two projects are stronger the the open source projects that use cute and the the uh, the private projects that license cute they they're both stronger by them both working together and those two things never seem to come to reality um at least from the qt cute projects perspective um, and so I think that's what's happening here is the Qt project is the, the Qt company behind Qt is desperately trying to increase revenue and looking at all kinds of avenues and, and penalizing users of its open source version. And so the inevitable talk of forking it has come around and uh, <laughs> the potential name is going to be KT instead of Qt. <laughs> Great. How do you feel about a fork of Qt failing? Um, I mean, one of the advantages Qt always had over or sorry, rather, one of the advantages KDE always had over GNOME was the fact that they didn't have to develop the toolkit at the same time, which meant they could actually develop applications, develop all the libraries. And, you know, I think in general, technically, it's a better project. I mean, that that's, you know, matter of opinion, whatever. But a lot of the stuff that GNOME is having problems with now is because they had to develop the toolkit, they had to develop the... Uh, all, the, all those sides without being able to take advantage of all the extra work that goes in. And I think... It would be a lot of burden, I think, to develop that execute. But the funny thing is, I have a feeling that if they did, and a large quantity of corporate developers got on board with it, because they're not going to want to get hit by licensing that they don't need to, you know, you could end up with the open version being the new de facto standard. Hmm. That doesn't bode well for the Qt company, then, if that does turn out to be what happens. Yeah, I think I think so too. I think that's I think that's. I don't know. I wouldn't like like to call it, but the two. Either way, the two would become different different products. Yeah, it's a it's a lose lose scenario, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully this will get sorted out, and uh, everyone will go back to playing happy families. But somehow, I suspect it's going to be more complicated before that happens. And I think if I had to bet money on it, I'd say that the fork is going to happen. How successful that fork will be remains to be seen, but um, we'll see. All right, well, we better get out of here then. Remember, subscribe to the All Episodes feed if you want to get Late Night Linux Extra as well. But we'll be back in two weeks with the main show. And until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.